Hello and welcome to Weekly MTG, the only show from inside the building, brought to you by the people who make Magic the Gathering. And I've got two such people here today, uh, Michael Majors and Ian Duke are here yep. from the Tabletop Studio to talk all things Pioneer and the Players Tour. We had uh, two pretty exciting events this past weekend. Did you guys get to watch either Nagoya or Brussels? Yeah, time zones were a little weird, so I kind of yep. caught like some live and then some on the replays. But yeah, it was pretty cool to watch. Yeah, and then we've got another Players Tour coming up this weekend, Players Tour Phoenix, which you can again watch right here on twitch.tv slash magic starting tomorrow, Friday. So that's a three-day event. Um, but we're going to walk through the events the top eight deck lists, uh, a lot more Pioneer talk. We're going to talk about what you guys uh, see happening in Pioneer, your thoughts on the format, and then, yeah, we're going to do, we're just going to spend the whole time doing that. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, first, couple news items. Steve's not here this week, which means 98% fewer puns, and I do the news. Uh, <laughs> two news <laughs> items for you today. Both things uh, happening this morning. First, we congratulate Seth Manfield on joining Team Envy. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, go to envy.gg, or you can check out Seth Manfield's Twitter profile. Uh, and then the other thing is we released the MTG Arena State of the Game this morning, which included a pretty cool event for Worlds, where while Worlds is going on, you can actually play in an event with the decks from the 16 competitors. So you can be watching Paulo Vitor Domodorosa play against Chris Kavartek, and you can play one of their decks and uh, kind of play along with the weekend, which is really fun and really cool. Um, so you can check out more about that event and the MTG Arena State of the Game on dailymtg.com right now. Um, but now let's get to the meat of it. We're going to talk all about Pioneer. So if you have questions about Pioneer, if you have questions about the player tour, put them in chat. I will ask these distinguished gentlemen here what they think, and we'll go from there. Uh, so let's start with Players Tour Brussels. Uh, overall, what did you think of, let's start with the top eight. Yeah, well, super happy overall. There was a great diversity of decks in the event and in the top eight as mm -hmm. well. So that was just wonderful to see. Basically, all the macro archetypes, you know, aggro, combo, control, ramp, mm -hmm. were represented throughout the tournament. And yeah, it was really a blast to watch. Okay. Did you guys have a favorite deck in the top eight at all? Hmm, tough to choose. I'll, I'll, I'll defer to Michael on that one. I, I enjoyed the Soul Titularium deck that Yol ended up actually taking down the title with. Uh, you know, grindy, traverse the Olvenwald deck mm -hmm. that got to top out with the uh, Uro from Theris Beyond Death. Super yeah. exciting new new addition to the deck. Gives it both like this kind of graveyard element that is a little bit different. Usually these rock style decks. And uh, also some sweet tutor targets. So. Yeah. Super fun deck. Yeah, I'll definitely highlight the, the Lotus Breach combo deck was mm -hmm. uh, definitely an exclamation point for me. Just really cool, unique deck, something we hadn't been able to see before Theros Beyond Death came out. So right. it was really a blast watching that debut. Okay. Well, let's go through the top eight deck lists. And we're going to start with Bant Spirits. Mm -hmm. So Bant Spirits.
might be right. I don't know. I think you nailed it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, Michael, what do you think about the, the two brazen borrowers are the only non-spirits in that list? So I think the thing to highlight about what Ian was alluding to with Collected Company and the Pioneer format is this is a super powerful card, but when there's a bunch of different types of strategies in a new format, you can't necessarily just show up with a pile of creatures and expect to be able to be covered against every single thing that's out there. Mm-hmm. So what Bant Spirits is, is able to do, highlighted by the couple copies of Brazen Borrow to round it out, is you have lots of creatures that kind of function like spells. You have mm-hmm. Brazen Borrow that offers, you know, kind of this dispersed mode so you can interact with the battlefield. You have mm-hmm. Spell Queller to be able to interact on the stack, Mausoleum Wonder to insulate you from sweepers, uh, Neville Gast Herald lets you stay ahead on the battlefield. So this, this deck actually has a lot of coverage, even though it's 32 creatures. Okay. Um, let's move on to the next archetype, because uh, Brussels had... All the archetypes. It just the top eight was really diverse. Uh, next up, we had mono red aggro. So mono red was one of the big decks going into this event. But Ian, you were saying beforehand this one looks a little bit different than we were seeing. Yeah, that's here. right. Like so, leading up to the event and before before Theros, um, we were seeing kind of like bigger red decks. Uh, mm-hmm. People called chunky red, chonky red, <laughs> yeah. kind of silly names for it or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, going all the way up the curve to things like uh, Glorybringer, for example. Yep. But actually, what we saw be more successful at, at Brussels what were the the mono red decks that kind of came down the curve a little bit mm-hmm. and tried to go underneath their opponents, which again makes sense if you're expecting a little bit more of a combo presence in the metagame. Mm-hmm. You want to really speed yourself up and be faster because you know Glorybringer is not really going to deal with Underworld Breach too well or whatever. Right, and, and I think another big factor, which we'll certainly spend a lot more time on later, is an inverter of truth is just a 6-6 six, six flyer, and Glorybringer just can't do anything about that. Mm-hmm. Good point. That makes sense. Uh, so, Michael, what about this deck is attractive to you? So, number one, great mana base. You're a monocolor deck, so obviously you're super consistent. Uh, you see that this deck gets to play Castle Embereth, Mutavolt, Raminap Ruin, so you're getting a lot of equity out of your, your mana base uh, in addition to being consistent. Uh, very aggressive curve. Uh, you get to interact with your opponent with Wild Slash Lightning Strike. Weirdly, Wild Slash has kind of like presented itself as the one of the best burn spells in Pioneer, <laughs> which is maybe not something that we expected going in. And then, um, yeah, as you can see on the screen, highlighted by Torbrand, Thane of Redfell, just this super powerful top end that allows you to burst your opponent out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, now talk a little bit, and this is a question for either of you, the choice between playing Goblin Chain Whirler, and, obvi- and they're just playing one Mutavolt, and you can't, you can't really play four Chain Whirler, four Mutavolt, but both are very powerful cards. Why do you think he chose Chain Whirler? Which do you think is the better route to go? Um, so early on in, in Pioneer, we've seen lots of really aggressive decks. Not only this mono-red deck we've been talking about, but uh, mono-black aggro, mm-hmm. and just various low-to-the-ground strategies. So Chain Whirler gives you, you know, a lot of additional removal spells, so to speak, against those very aggressive decks. Um, also, just another card that lines up well against these uh, Walking Ballista Heliod combo decks, which, mm. again, I'm sure we'll talk about soon. But essentially, if, if your opponent plays turn two Walking Ballista for one and is trying to set up to combo you out um, a little bit later in the game, Chain Whirler is another check against that. Another thing to be thinking about is how many mana elves do you expect? Early mm-hmm. on in Pioneer's history, there were a lot of decks that were playing Elvish Mystic and Land of War Elves, and Chain Whirler is obviously excellent there. So it kind of, it, it's, it's changed context a little bit. Like early on, it was the anti-mana elf thing, and then those kind of fell out of favor a little bit, and now it's the anti-mono-black like mono black aggro, anti-mono-white uh, type card. So kind of a couple different angles on it. Makes sense. 
Um, let's move on to the next deck. Ian, you said this one was one of your personal favorites. <laughs> uh, Lotus Breach. So obviously this one is uh, highlighted by Underworld Breach. So this deck, I don't want to say it didn't exist because there was a Lotus deck prior to this, but mm-hmm. talk a little bit about how this deck even works. Oh, yet. my goodness. I'm going to have to defer to Michael. Okay, oh my gosh, I was really hoping here. you didn't do that. <laughs> All right. We'll um, piece it together. together. So <laughs> I, I think actually a very important part of this strategy is the sideboard, which uh, you can see in the creature section, there's four Fae of Wishes. Mm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the way you get the Deterministic Kill is to have uh, a Lotus Field with Hidden strings, and you fay of wishes for a tome scour. Yeah, that's correct. You get you get a tome scour. Yeah. And then once you've assembled that combination of cards, and you have an underworld breach, you can then uh, tome scour yourself at a profit, and mill over your entire deck in combination with the aforementioned cards. And then once you've milled your entire deck, you can then play Thassa's Oracle to win the game. Right. So just to break it down a little bit, so Hidden Strings lets you tap or untap two permanents. So Mm -hmm. once you have a a Lotus Field in play, you're actually generating mana by casting Hidden Strings. And then Tome Scour is just for one mana milling five cards, so that keeps filling up your graveyard, so then you can keep recasting Hidden Strings and Tome Scour with your Underworld Breach. Generate mana, go through your entire deck, and as Michael said, yeah, then you can win with uh, Thassa's Oracle from that point. Mm -hmm. Now, there were versions of this deck that played Chronic Flooding, Yep. Mm-hmm. What does Chronic Flooding do, Michael? So, <laughs> that's, so you're just going to keep putting it all these, these pop quizzes. Former <laughs> Grand Prix top eight, uh, you know, in its own day in Standard oh. It's a, what one you aura enchants a land, and when you tap the land, you mill three. Mill three, three. Mill three yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think it was meant to be a negative thing you could put on your opponent's lands in Return to Ravnica Limited. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pioneer, Pioneer, bringing out some weird ones. Um, Okay, so next let's move on to a far more explainable deck, Mono Black Aggro. So um, there there are kind of two flavors of Mono Black Aggro um, in the format right now. There's this, and then there's Vampires, which we'll talk about later. So, Michael, talk about the advantages to this version. Yeah, so kind of similar to Mono Red in a lot of uh, respects. This is a deck that has a really powerful mana base, Muta Vault, Castle Lock, Lane, or Borg Tomb of Yawgmoth to make your Muta Vaults uh, less of a liability for casting your colored spells. And then kind of the key difference between Mono Black and Mono Red in some respects is that you get to play Thoughtseize. Mm-hmm. And Thoughtseize is one of the pillars of the format, just a super strong disruptive tool against the various combo strategies. Um, the major difference between this mono black aggro deck and the vampires deck is Soren Imperious Bloodlord. Mm-hmm. So being able to play Soren, and uh, especially in combination with Champion of Dusk, allows you to kind of have this draw engine. Um, this mono black aggro deck, on the other hand, is more of just I'm going to play the most efficient, uh, best pound for pound cards up the curve. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'll highlight about the deck is that it has a lot of staying power, so it can, of course, just win the game early if it gets an aggressive start and can run over the opponent, but then you've also got, if the game goes long or your opponent's killing your creatures, you've got Blood Soak Champion, Gutter Bones, Scrap Heap Scrounger, coming back from the graveyard, you've got Mutavault, so you know your lands are providing value in the late game, and then Castle Lockdwain is a great way to, to refuel, too, so it's, it's a deck that's capable of winning early but also going long. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. All right, next up, uh, we go from one color to all the colors uh, in the hands of Paula Vitor Damodorosa. And by the way, uh, just a side note, 
There is an article on the front page of Magic.gg right now where Brian David Marshall makes the case that Paulo is the greatest player of all time, uh, which is an interesting argument to be sure, but he certainly played well in this tournament. He got, uh, I think, third with this list. Uh, so uh, that is a lot of lands, a lot of colors. What are we even doing here? Yeah, I, I really wouldn't want to write out that deck list. Really. <laughs> so lands, that was the first thing that jumped out at me. Um, so in, in some ways, this is kind of a glorified mid-ranger control deck. So Nim-Mizzet Reborn is certainly the highlight. Um, it incentivizes you to play lots of different color combinations in your deck. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen tons of different deck lists of, of Nib Delight uh, throughout the beginning of Pioneer, but... Apollo streamlined his deck quite a bit more than some of the lists I've seen out there. You'll notice that he's he's focusing on more mana acceleration, Sylvan Carry did, three copies of Gilded Goose, some Uros, and then just has kind of a couple of bullets to pair with his Bring to Light, which is the primary way that you actually get your Misery Born and give yourself some redundancy. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the one Thoughtseize? Are you sure it's not a typo? <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't know. Um, uh, do the quick math. That's a, that's a pretty strange one, actually. Uh, so typically these decks are playing, like you see the one copy of Slaughter Games, which is kind of like right. the, the bullet that I'm going to get with my Bring Delight to try to interact with my combo opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also seen like Unmoored Ego taking up that slot. So I'm going to be honest with you, I don't have a great answer with the thoughts. Yeah, because most of the, the singletons are two-color cards, so they can be found off Niv-Mizzet. Uh, the exceptions look to be Hour of Devastation and the One Thoughtseize. Maybe he's got more Thoughtseize in the board. Maybe. So that I think was just clearly like a, the only explanation is just science. Science. Yeah, right. Also, 10,000 games and this is just the perfect list. He's, he's Paulo. He, I'm sure he knows what he's doing. Um, okay. Next up, uh, actually, one thing I do want to bring up about this is while Paulo obviously did really well, um, according to... Things I read on the internet, so it must be true. Must uh, the be. deck actually, this archetype did not do terribly well over the weekend. That it generally had a lose. Yeah, record. that's actually true in the tournament. However, we internally we saw this archetype kind of breaking out on Magic Online. I want to say about three or four weeks ago. Okay, and it actually was winning quite a bit there. It was it was looking like one of the stronger decks, and I remember kind of joking um, with with my coworkers like like Hey, like this this deck is like looking a little bit scary. How much it's winning, but yeah. like." what a great deck to be the best deck if it yeah. were to be the best deck, right? Like, what a cool format where people are just casting Niv-Mizzet Reborn for value and just doing all sorts of cool stuff, mm-hmm. playing one of, you know, 20 different lands, all these one of non-land cards, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the deck I ended up not doing super well in the tournament, but I do think it has some staying power in the metagame. Okay. So let's actually, let's actually pause on the lists for a second and talk a little bit more about... Um, how you've seen Pioneer develop so far, because you said something interesting in there. Mm-hmm. Pioneer as a format is only a couple months old, and really, Pioneer as we know it only got finalized at the beginning of January. Mm-hmm. So I understand I'm asking you some questions where you don't have a ton of data to back it up. But are, are you seeing those um, waves of changes in Pioneer as people discover new cards rather than new things being introduced? Or, or what do you see right now? Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's it's a format that's kind of in its infancy right now. We went mm-hmm. through this period, for those who are just kind of catching up with the format, we went through a period of, um, I won't call it like a beta test, but like we were very transparent that we were going to launch the format with no without a pre-populated band, uh, band list and mm-hmm. that as we kind of rolled things out, we would let the players figure out, you know, what was too strong and what needed to change. And we went through that period of kind of rapid iteration up through early January. 
um, knowing that we would have the players tours coming up in uh, in early February. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of expected, even though the changes were slowing down and it was looking like the metagame was settling into place, we hadn't really put that competitive pressure on the format yet. Mm-hmm. And so we expected that new stuff would break out during these players tours. And then also on top of that, we had Theros Beyond Death come out as well, which introduced, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get into more details about that later, but introduced a lot of new options um, and created some new archetypes as well. So I think it's a combination of kind of the first time of putting the really competitive pressure on the format uh, and, and also, you know, the new cards emerging with Theros. Okay. Uh, speaking of new cards emerging and <laughs> competitive pressure, uh, our next deck is Demir Inverter, mm-hmm. which is a deck that has garnered a lot of discussion right now. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to spend more time on it when we get to PT Nagoya. Um, but what's, Michael, what's the basic uh, combination of this deck? So, so basically the goal of this deck is that it's a combo deck using Inverter of Truth to exile your entire library except for you know a small amount of cards that are left in your graveyard or sometimes very, very few cards if you just cast Dig Through Time. Uh, and then once you have a very small library, you either cast Thassa's Oracle or have a Jace Wilder Mysteries on the battlefield. You intentionally mill yourself out or look at the top cards of your library, mm-hmm. which is your, the rest of your library, and suddenly you've won the game. Congratulations. <laughs> And so this is exactly what you had in mind when you guys designed Inverter of Truth, right? <laughs> actually, actually, I did design Were you in the building? Did nice. you really? Yeah, I, I led it with the Gatewatch, and I actually did design this card. And I got a lot of comments from people like, what the heck is this card? What am I supposed to do with it? Am I supposed to, like, beat down with it? Is it some kind of weird combo thing? And I was like, yeah, kind of all of the above. Like, mm-hmm. um, I always thought that it would show up in some context in the grand scheme of magic. I wasn't sure when, but, you know, <laughs> I guess, you know, fast forward. How Now's long your time to years shine. Or something like that, yeah. Um, so what makes this deck... Um, Actually, you know what? We're going we're gonna to come back to this because we're going to talk more about Devere Inverter at Nagoya. Let's move on to the winner, mm-hmm. uh, which seemingly out of nowhere, Yoel Larson, uh, who's no stranger to winning these kinds of events, uh, won with not exactly a homebrew, but pretty close. Um, how much Salty Delirium were you guys seeing on Magic Online prior to this? Um, not a lot. It existed, but yeah. you know, it was just kind of a minor part of the metagame. My understanding is that Yoel um, and a small team of friends all played this deck together, and mm-hmm. as a result, because it was a group of it was a small group of highly skilled players playing it, the deck had a tremendously high win rate at the tournament. Um, we're not necessarily seeing that win rate carry through that high, you know, when mm-hmm. we look at like the grander scheme of Magic Online League play and, or so on, but. It is definitely a strong deck, and certainly, you know, Yoel, uh, a very strong player as well, so not surprising to see him doing really well with this. Okay. Michael, tell us what this deck does. Yeah, so, so at its heart, this is just kind of the, you know, traditional Jun deck or, you know, rock deck sometimes, as they're referred to, where it's, I'm going to play hyper-efficient answers, kind of go one-for-one one with you, uh, try to stay in the game as long as possible, then pull away with some kind of card advantage engine or some overwhelming threat. Mm-hmm. So in this case, uh, Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath is both a, a strong early play, it stabilizes you against aggressive decks, and then later in the game you get to escape it and just uh, pull ahead and take over the game. In addition, you have some Planeswalkers, and then uh, with your Traverse the Open Wall tutor package, you're able to find Emrakul the Promised End, which is just the kind of the ultimate trump in a very long game. Mm-hmm. Um. Do you expect this deck to have any success this weekend? It's a good question. It definitely looks solid, um, and you know we're seeing it. You know, definitely hanging in the mix in the metagame. So I would expect it to show up. Um, 
wouldn't necessarily predict it would win the tournament. Um, but you know what I love about this deck being a part of the metagame is like it's just like normal magic, right? Mm -hmm. It just says like, hey, you can just play you know normal magic uh, in Pioneer and be successful, even though there's lots of other things you can do, like be hyper aggressive or play a combo deck or whatever. So it's just kind of representative of yeah, this is like all aspects of magic are viable in Pioneer right now. Okay. Um, well, congratulations to Yol Larson on winning Players Tour Brussels. Uh, let's move on to Players Tour Nagoya, which was a kind of a whole different scene. Mm -hmm. um, before we do that, uh, if you have questions for Michael or Ian about anything related to Pioneer or the Players Tour, go ahead and put them in chat. We'll be throwing them out as they come in. Um, so let's talk Nagoya, and let's kick it off with uh, Shota Yasuoka. By the way, this top eight was stacked. Super stacked, yeah. I think I recognized every single player's name yeah. know, looking through the top eight. Yeah. You know, Alishi a Tian, a, a, like Dmitry Budakov was there. <laughs> it's just um, stacked top eight, and Shota Yasuoka, no exception. He was playing the Demir Inverter deck that we were just talking about. So um, there are a couple different flavors of this deck, interestingly, in the top eight of mm -hmm. PT Nagoya. How would you characterize this one? <laughs> this deck is so showed. It just has like, <laughs> you know, these these random control elements: one Scarab God, one Hashiach Nightmare Muse, a Languish, because you know why not? Uh, just just these like very small choices that really make it hard for an opponent to right. play against him. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call this the stock list. Definitely, right. it's right. like the stock list with like minus eight cards and plus a bunch of spicy one-offs, basically. So, and, yeah. and, and I think most notably, it's uh, two copies of Thassa's Oracle, whereas most of the lists we've seen are playing the four full. Excuse me, the full four. Mm -hmm. They're kind of functioning as pure combo decks. He's trying to play a longer game. He, you know, is trying to put some pressure on you, put you in a squeeze where he's playing a normal control game, and if you let the shields down, he might combo kill you. Okay. Uh, let's look at uh, another version. Takahashi. I believe it was, was it Yuta Takahashi? I don't remember. Yeah, Yuta Takahashi. Um, so this one looks, actually, it looks exactly like the one we saw. Um, I think that's Glugowski. true. Yep. It, it's, yeah, it's pretty close to stock. So now let's look at... The less stock list. Um, from Ishimura, what's going on here, Michael? Oh, man, this one's super cool. <laughs> this deck's so sweet. Um, yeah, kind of like we just spoke about with Shota's deck, where it's like, maybe I'll combo kill you after I play a normal control game. This is like, maybe I'll just pull way ahead with Nykthos Shrine to Nyx, and then instantly I'll kill you with my combo as well. Yeah, so there's a couple of cool things going on here. So Leyline of Anticipation... Um, is doing a bunch of different roles in the deck. Uh, first of all, it lets you um, sort of combo at instant speed. You know, even if you only have four lands, you can, like, end of turn play the Inverter, and then during your upkeep, you can play Thassa's Oracle. Mm -hmm. That also gives you an angle to um, evade uh, graveyard removal, too, like, even if your opponent has a Tormod's Crypt or something like that, mm -hmm. because you can play the Oracle during your upkeep. You're, you're never in a window where, like, you're going to have zero cards in your library and have to draw or something along those lines. The other thing it does is it provides two blue pips for your Devotion to Blue, which is important then for Nykthos Shrine to Nyx. And if you look at the creatures there, they're very, very heavy in blue mana symbols as well. Mm -hmm. Not only Thassa's Oracle, but also Merfolk Trickster, um, you know, Brazen Borrower, Borrower Gadwick Belizend. Um, and so your Nykthos then becomes very powerful, which you can use to fuel a giant Gadwick. Mm -hmm. So you can actually um, theoretically like draw most of your deck and then win with Thassa's Oracle that way by having like a, a, a very devotion-powered Thassa's Oracle. So mm -hmm. a lot of different angles that this deck um, can represent there. Very, very cool. And you get to play Wizard's Retort, which in this deck looks to be basically counterspell. 
Yep, I believe every creature, maybe Merfolk Trickster is not a wizard. I think Brazen Borrower is not either, but yes, a, lot of, a lot yes, of them a lot are of wizards. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, of the of the three, and there there were actually more Demir Inverter lists in this top eight. First of all, of the three, which do you like best? The Devotion deck's definitely the coolest. Yeah, the, yeah. the Leyline of Anticipation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which do you think is the is the best. Like, if you were playing in the Players Tour in Phoenix this weekend, which would you choose? I would probably go with the stock list, to be honest. I, I'm just really a sucker for having easy access to, like, efficient removal, like Fatal Push, mm-hmm. um, Thought Seize, you know, dig through time for card selection. So that's probably the route that I would go. Okay. Certainly the list that I think that players preparing for Phoenix were most expecting other players to show up with. Yeah, makes sense. So now, th- there's been a lot of conversation about the Demir Inverter combo. Mm-hmm. I, People, people are still a little band trigger happy yeah. after uh, uh, how we kicked off the format. We're, we're out of that area where we're just like ban, 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 ban. Right. Um, but how do you guys feel about this combo existing right now in the format? So first of all, I just you know, want to be clear to everybody, don't take anything that I say here as an indication <laughs> of like we're planning to ban something or we're not going to ban something or we're signing ourselves up for, you know, we're never going to ban this. Um, you know, obviously we're going to, just the general statement, forget about this deck, of course we're always going to watch how the metagame evolves mm-hmm. and we're always going to keep our minds open and make changes if we need to. However, all that being said, you know, this is a new breakout deck that's just come out over the last couple weeks. To me, it looks really cool. It's doing a unique thing that um, other decks haven't been doing in the environment. And you know, having looked a little bit at the data here, it looks like it has a balance of strong and weak, weak matchups against the other top decks. So it looks like something that could integrate itself just fine into the metagame. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and have natural uh, you know counters to it and such. So you know, it's nothing alarming to us yet from this standpoint. And most of all, it's just like exciting and cool to see a new deck break out. Mm-hmm. How, so it it is essentially a two card combo, Inverter mm-hmm. of Truth and, and Thassa's Oracle. But how do you guys view this as being different from some of the other two card combos that have mm-hmm. been banned, like like Sahili Felidar? Yeah, a lot of people like to make generalizations of like a two card combo that wins from hand. You know must be ban-worthy. We don't, that's not how we balance the game or view the game here. We don't make generalizations like that. Mm-hmm. We're always looking at a variety of different factors like, you know, how strong is the deck? How often does it win? Does it have other bad matchups in the metagame? How fast is the deck, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you wanted to just race it by playing an aggressive creature deck, you know, can you beat it before it can combo off? Um, how interactable is the combo, right? Combos that are interactable through decks that, or through cards that other decks normally play, like creature removal spells or counter spells, um, or hand disruption spells, are a lot more likely to be tolerable in the metagame in the sense that other decks can naturally adapt to counter them versus, you know, uh, other examples of combos that might be harder to interact with through normal means. So we're factoring all of that stuff in and watching the metagame evolve when we're making decisions about, you know, do we need to take um, BNR action against a deck like that? Um, all that being said, I think it's perfectly healthy for there to be some combo in an environment like Pioneer. Mm-hmm. You know, part of what makes Magic so deep is that, sure, you can play a normal creature deck and attack, um, or you can play a control deck, or you can play a deck that wins through other more creative means, and this is just an example of you know, uh, an alternative win condition that you can build around, and I think it's, it adds you know, flavor and excitement to the, to the metagame generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael, how would you expect players to prepare for this deck this weekend? So I think we might see more uptick in cards like Thoughtseize or Dress or other various ways to, to interact with you know any generic combo deck throughout the history of Magic. Also, uh, ways to interact with Planeswalkers. Uh, I think a notable difference, uh, Ian said, said things very well, but 
is that this isn't necessarily a combo where I assemble my two pieces and the game is over instantly on the spot every time. Mm -hmm. uh, Inverter of Truth does shuffle your graveyard into your deck, so uh, if you have had any interaction up to that point, you still have to deal with some size of, of, a, of a library. Mm -hmm. um, notably, if you have a zero card library and a Thassa's Oracle and you kill it, you still do win the game, but uh, it's it's pretty difficult to get to that point, especially very early in the game. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's not like a situation where it's like, I have some of my two-card combination, the game is instantly over no matter what. Um, so cards like Hero's Downfall, I think, would be... Uh, uh, we're going to see more so this weekend in Phoenix. Uh, counter spells are always a, a pretty viable option against these types of strategies, so we might see an uptick in, like, blue-white control or other strategies mm -hmm. that have been popular historically mm -hmm. like that. And, uh, again, like, I think typically what you see with different types of decks like this is over time they actually become less dedicated combo decks and kind of merge into mid-range or control decks that incorporate this combo. So it's it's not true that every game is, is ending in a very abrupt, quick fashion on turn four, five, six. Yeah. Well, and I, I think we've already seen that in... Uh, we've seen some Sultai versions of... The, uh, the inverter combo mm -hmm. showing up, where they've kind of mashed together together Yol Larson's deck and the Demir inverter <laughs> combo, mm -hmm. and they've come up with. I, I think Sam Black might have had an article about it today on Star City Games. Mm -hmm. but we've seen a couple lists floating around. Um, do you expect that that's the direction some people might go as well? It, it's interesting. I, I think that's that's definitely a possible evolution of the deck. I believe that deck also utilizes Euro as kind of this, like, mm -hmm. I can maybe, again, put some pressure on you, gain some card advantage, you have to deal with my, my plan B, and then suddenly I can combo kill you. Uh, also, it has the benefit of playing some Acceleration, I think, which mm -hmm. is always strong in, in combo decks like this. Uh, but that being said, the more, like, less focused your, your deck is, then perhaps the more susceptible you are to very pinpoint targeted hate. Yeah. Well, and Uro is interesting to me because it's another way to remove cards from your graveyard, too. Yep, mm -hmm. also a great point. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to uh, the most out-of-left-field <laughs> deck this weekend, by far, Sram Auras, which uh, Ken Yukihiro, uh, another ringer, um, uh, yeah, this deck happened. What? Notably a ringer with off-the-beaten-path off strategies. Yeah, too. Uh, very true. So, Michael, how were you describing this deck earlier? <laughs> I think I said it It looked like an old block-constructed deck with yeah. you know, maybe some help in the mana base department. Yeah, it's actually amazing how many of these cards come from Theros Beyond Death. Mm -hmm. It's like ha almost half the deck. Um, so, yeah, this was a big surprise for us to see. It looks super cool. You know, it's in the style of, like, the, the Slippery Bogle deck mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, was a thing in modern or has been a thing in modern for quite some time. <laughs> Um, but, you know, obviously, um, you know, not really using the hexproof here so much. So it's like non-slippery bogles, I guess. I'm not really sure here. But anyway. <laughs> Very loading, catchable. Lo <laughs> loading up a bunch of enchantments on, uh, like, a lifelinking creature in particular. Um, very effective against other aggressive decks um, or catching decks that you know can't remove it very easily mm -hmm. or getting out of range of mono red burn, for example. Mm -hmm. um, seems like it could be well positioned in the metagame. And, and strangely, it's almost like an engine deck. You can see SRAM Senior Edificer up here on the screen, but also Hateful Idol on a card from Theris Beyond Death is a another piece that allows you to draw cards when creatures with auras on them die. So you're, you're not actually going as all-in as, as you would expect in a mm -hmm. deck like this at first glance. Well, and Hateful Eidolon, you know, I, I, what I like about this deck is a lot of the cards play double duty. As, like, Ian, you were talking about earlier, putting mm -hmm. it on a lifelink creature. Hateful Eidolon's both an engine and a lifelink creature. Um, 
I'm going to pronounce this Alcyid? Alcyid yeah. of Life's Bounty <laughs> can protect your ord of creatures and also can be that creature with lifelink. Right, right. So, yeah, a lot of different angles here. Yeah, I, that's a great point. The, the, the double duty of each of the creatures here is, is really phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the all that glitters that is kind of your uh, cranial plating of the enchantment deck. Mm-hmm. So, okay, really cool, wild deck. Um, next up, uh, Dmitry Budakov came in and played Mono Black Vampires. So this was the other flavor of Mono Black uh, that we were talking about. Michael, what is the main differences between this and the other Mono Black deck? Yeah, we touched upon this earlier, but I think the, the key pieces are Sworn Imperious Bloodlord, very powerful Planeswalker. It allows you to uh, buff up your various vampires in your deck. But notably, the, the minus three allows you to put Champion of the Dusk onto the battlefield as early as turn three. Mm-hmm. That allows you to draw some cards, uh, play this really powerful five drop ahead of schedule. And then, uh, otherwise, not not a ton different between this and the Mono Black deck. Your, your curve is a little bit higher. Your cards are maybe a little bit higher impact. Mm-hmm. You have Kalita's Trader of Get, which is super strong card against other aggressive strategies. Um, but Still, at the end of the day, you're playing Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, have a really strong man base. Okay. Yeah, uh, Ian, talk a little bit about that core of Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, Castle Lockley, and Mutable, because we see a lot of lists have success mm-hmm. with, you know, centered around those four cards. Yeah, so certainly Thoughtseize and Fatal Push are just two of the most efficient answers or ways to disrupt your opponent um, in the environment. Um, both one mana spells, you know, Fatal Push in particular, able to pick off, you know, everything from mana elves to help defend you against other aggressive decks to, you know, breaking up a walking ballista combo, things along those lines. Um, and then Thoughtseize, of course, a powerful weapon against um, some of the new combo decks that have broken out, mm-hmm. as well as just being a great disruptive tool in general. Then we get to the mana base elements here, and this is, you know, this is something that um, I think players can often overlook um, because it, it feels really subtle. It's, you know, okay, they're just lands here, but they actually give you Mutavolt and Castle Octwain give you a very robust late game um, in terms of being able to refill your hand or put some additional pressure on your opponent. Mutavolt in particular, living through sweepers like Supreme Verdict um, and able to, you know, finish off your opponent if they're at a low life total. So mm-hmm. it really adds like another dimension to the deck um, beyond just the non-land cards that are contributing. Okay. Uh, and then finally, last and certainly not least, because it won the tournament, uh, we have a, another Bant Spirits list, which is going to look very similar to the last one. Yeah, we've one seen this we, before. Yep. We have. It, it, is, it is not identical, but it's pretty darn close. I think, I think the number of selfless spirits was slightly different than the other list. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael, is there any other way to build this list, or is this kind of where you want to start if you're a Spirits player? Uh, it's definitely where I would start, but I, I think it would be foolish to say that this is the, the end point of the Vance Spirits strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, right, just just because a deck list performed really well last weekend with 32 creatures doesn't necessarily mean that like I would want to sign myself up for playing no creature spells except for Collected Company. Um, we've also seen various... Uh, both spirit strategies and collected company strategies uh, pop up in the early days of Pioneer. So, I mean, there's definitely something here. The core is certainly strong, but I'm sure there's innovation to be had. Yeah, I think that the jury's still out on whether the collected company splash is worth it here. Another direction I could see taking this deck, especially if um, combo remains a strong presence, is just going blue-white without collected company Mm -hmm. and then adding some other non-creature spells, uh, you know, things along the lines of spell pierce, or other counter magic, um, you know, to kind of interact with the stack more, as Michael put it earlier. Um, which of those paths is better? I'm not sure yet. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody's sure yet. We'll see how the metagame continues to play out. But I think, um, yeah, there's a potential for kind of a fork there. Okay. So Kento won this event. Um, the Band Spirits list in 
Brussels didn't make it out of the first round of the top eight. Obviously, there's some variance there. But why do you think uh, Kenta had more success in his top eight with Spirits? Honestly, it could be because it was a more uh, combo-heavy top eight. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, like, Spellqueller, you know, being, I think, one of the all-stars here in terms of being able to, um, you know, defend yourself while putting on pressure. Um, I, I forget exactly how the brackets played out, but that would be my bet for why he was successful there. Okay. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, on its, on its face, it looks like the Spirit deck is really well-equipped to handle various combo strategies, so uh, that means we, we might see a lot of it this weekend in Phoenix. Okay. Uh, and I do want to call out, we weren't showing off sideboards there, but uh, uh, Kenta had a, a weird, what looked weird <laughs> at first glance card in the sideboard, Permeating Mass. Um, Michael, what does this card do? <laughs> We're going to put it up on the Thank screen. You. Thank you. <laughs> We had to look this one up before. Yeah, so well. it's it's a 1-3 for 1 green mana, which is, I mean, 1-3 for 1 green is cheap. Uh, it is a spirit. That was a surprise to I, us. I, that I, was, I that was a, yeah, we didn't. <laughs> uh, and whenever permeating mass deals da- combat damage to a creature, that creature becomes a copy of permeating mass. Uh, what would you use this card against? So, the, yeah, this is a, a one-mana 1-3, one, so my, my mind immediately goes to, like, this is a, a strong roadblock against uh, aggressive strategies. Also, presumably, uh, you're not bringing it against other spirits decks, so you have a permanent <laughs> mass that's, you know, maybe a 2-4 or a 3-5, mm-hmm. and then suddenly your opponent just can't really block it, because then it'll just kill whatever is blocking it. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, when I first saw the saw the stats one three, I immediately thought back to the mono black aggro deck we talked about earlier, yep. which has just loads and loads of one mana two ones, you know, gutter bones, blood soaked champion, and stuff like that. Um, so it's just an excellent blocker there, I think, against mono red and, and uh, mono black. Okay. Also, it's pretty funny when it blocks immutable. I have no <laughs> idea what happens at that point, but at end of turn, when we, uh, yeah, I don't know. Judge. Yeah, it's, it's I'm I'm rusty on my mutable. Good rulings. <laughs> Um, so that covers the two top eights, but that doesn't cover all of Pioneer. So let's talk about a few other deck archetypes. And chat, if there are other archetypes that you want to get their take on, feel free to throw them in chat and we will cover them. But let's start um, with one archetype that got a lot of um, talk coming into the weekend because of another two-card combo, Helion and Walking Ballista, uh, Mono White Devotion. Yeah, so this is, uh, so Mono White Devotion, um, you know, basically just your classic, like, white weedy deck with a heavy emphasis on getting lots of white pips for Devotion, mm-hmm. uh, able to turn on Heliod there, and then at the point where you have Heliod in your deck, throwing in the Walking Ballista combo is, is kind of a, a free roll at that point. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like plan A is just be an aggressive, you know, play to the board creature deck, try mm-hmm. to run over your opponent, and then plan B is maybe, you know, if you, if you catch your opponent tapped out or whatever, you can go for the combo. Okay. Uh, Michael, the, uh, the Heliod Ballista combo can go in a lot of decks because it really only requires one white mana. Do you think this is the best implementation of it? It's hard to say. Um, like you said, because it's actually a relatively low investment to incorporate the combo in your deck since one of the pieces is colorless and then you only need one white pip. Um, I think this is another situation where we might see the format evolve dramatically. Maybe decks are including, you know, three or four copies of Walking Ballista because it's just a generically strong card that you might mm-hmm. want in your deck, but you know, at that point, maybe you can just play one Heliod or two Heliod. So, again, I think it's a situation where, like, you might see the format evolve to the point where the Heliod-Walking Ballista combo is not the central piece of the deck, but we're seeing multiple decks try to incorporate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, let's talk about... 
Uh, let's talk. We'll, we'll oh, get Lord. to some of Chad's decks <laughs> in a second. Uh, let's talk about Azorius Control. So Azorius Control has had a lot of flavors. It's kind of always been there um, once we got through the initial wave of bannings for Pioneer. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you view Azorius's con- Azorius Control's place in the metagame? Well, again, certainly, you know, if, if combo is on the rise here, um, having access to counter spells is definitely a great angle to go. We also saw a number of uh, just aggressive decks like Mono Black Aggro, Mono Red, and even Spirits to some extent. So mm-hmm. card like Supreme Verdict can be really valuable there. Um, so I think, you know, much like how Mono Red is just an archetype that everybody tries in every format, uh, Blue-White Control is just a natural archetype to try in every format, and mm-hmm. I think there's lots of ways to build it, and it's ultimately going to really depend on what way the metagame goes um, is going to determine how you end up building your control decks. Okay. Uh, what strengths does Azorius Control have to lean into? Uh, like Ian alluded to, just having access to counterspells makes it have an angle against these combo decks. Uh, being able to play sweepers like Supreme Verdict or Settle the Wreckage, mm-hmm. strong against the aggressive strategies. Um, and then just having some of the strongest Planeswalkers in the format is, is definitely a huge boon to the deck. Having it's very Time Raveler, if people are trying to get cute and play like Leyline of Anticipation or mm-hmm. more uptick and collected companies means that your opponent has to play Sorcery Speed. Uh, Teferi Hero Dominaria, just one of the most powerful Planeswalkers, is a really great way for the deck to close out. Um, also a deck that has a strong mana base between uh, Castle Ardenvale, Castle Vantress. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were talking about the Guy Reach Sanitarium, <laughs> uh, Narset Parter Veils combination earlier. <laughs> yeah, so the way that one works, I watched someone do it at an FNM the other week, uh, is if you have Teferi, Narset, and a Guyer's Reach Sanitarium, <laughs> I could not for the life of me figure out why Guyer's Reach Sanitarium was in so many of these lists for a while. And then I saw him doing it, I was like, oh, okay. okay. So if you have those three pieces out... In your opponent's draw step, after they draw, you can activate Gyre's Reach Sanitarium. So they cannot draw a second card, and they must discard the card they drew. And Teferi prevents them from playing instance, and it's a lock, and it's... Sounds like a miserable way to go. (laughs) Or you just like, oh, yeah, I see. I I can't win. And then you concede. Sure. One of the two. Um, But I, I don't actually know if that was being played in... This past weekend, uh, let's move to. Uh, Chat has a couple archetypes they want you guys' opinions on. Mm-hmm. Um, Arc like Phoenix decks. Yeah, yeah so, so I, I think these types of decks are super beloved. Where it's like I'm going to play cheap interaction, tons of cantrips, just kind of blaze through my deck and then find some way to kill you. In this case, it's Arc like Phoenix. Um, my instinct is that Arclight Phoenix would be one of the best treasure crews of decks in the format, mm-hmm. especially early on, um, mm-hmm. and we just haven't seen it pan out that way. Um, yeah, we did see a lot of experimentation with these style of decks early on in Pioneer's history. Uh, from what I've seen looking at the data, these type of archetypes have always been disproportionately popular relative to how much they win. Mm-hmm. Not to say it's a bad archetype by any means, but just like people really seem to latch on to and like that style of deck. So mm-hmm. I definitely expect it to be a deck that people continue to experiment with. And it's also the kind of deck that, as new cards are added to the pool, um, it's a deck that is likely to power up, just right as there's more options for you know cheap cantrips and mm-hmm. you know ways to fill your graveyard and things like that. So right. I, I would expect it to have some some staying power in the metagame going along. I, I have two Pioneer decks built. One of them is Blue White Control, and one of them is Phoenix. Ah, wonderful. Um, and I, I do uh, discovering the interaction. Not, it's not that amazing interaction, but um, the uh, oh my plans. 
the uh, look at the top three strategic, plan. strategic yep. planning. Yeah, yep. uh, strategic planning that Arclight Phoenix and Treasure Cruise was actually just a delight. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, super fun to play. Yep. Super fun. Yeah, the deck has some issues, but it's it's so fun to play Ancestral Recall in, in a format <laughs> like that. Um, and then another archetype that they wanted to hear about was Simic Ramp. Um, so yeah, Simic Ramp, obviously, Ramp decks in general general were really popular early on in Pioneer's history. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, as we went through the initial populating the band list and uh, that rapid iteration period, um, some of the cards that were popular in those Ramp decks you know, ultimately had to go, Oko and uh, Oath of Nyssa, uh, Once Upon a Time, etc., um, but I think with the addition of uh, Uro and some other new options in um, in Theros Beyond Death, I can definitely see you know Ramp coming back um, and just kind of being a more like um, kind of going over the over the top of some of the other mid range decks. You know, if something like Soul Died Delirium ends up being um, like a, a major staple in the metagame, I could see the Ramp decks like kind of trying to go over the top of that as mm-hmm. that being their role in the metagame. Yeah, definitely agree with that. I think the core of Uro, uh, Nissa, who shakes the world, and Hydro Crisis just this strong, robust uh, payoff package, and then just incorporating some mana creatures, maybe some interaction, and then mm-hmm. uh, some additional building blocks is, is definitely a good way to, like Ian said, go over the top of traditional mid-range decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we saw on camera this past weekend there were some uh, there were some Ugins, there were a few Eldrazi at the top <laughs> end. Uh, it definitely got played. Uh, did not quite make the final rounds. Um one deck that did pretty well, but also did not make the final round, was Is It in Soul, uh, which seems like a strong archetype. What are yeah, your this deck's always been kind of like just under the radar in terms of uh, popularity in the metagame, but it has been something that people have been playing um, on and off for all of Pioneer's history so far. Um, definitely a deck that you know warms my heart to see, reminds me a lot of what I think Mike Sigris played at Pro Tour Origins way mm-hmm. back, which yep. I casted, and that was really entertaining to watch. But yeah, just these like kind of artifacty based aggressive decks trying to go all in with within soul artifact early in the game. It's um, yeah, definitely puts a lot of pressure on the opponent, and if people are unprepared for it, can you know definitely catch them with their pants down, so to speak. Yeah, it definitely strikes me as as one of the sleeper decks in the format. Also, I think uh, next to spirits, maybe one of the better choices against like a, a combo meta game between a quick clock uh, access to. Metallic Rebuke and Stubborn Denial. That's mm-hmm. some really good piece of interaction mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Uh, deal with any combo strategies. Okay, which makes sense. Uh, let's see. Chat also wanted to know... Um, I haven't seen it, but you look at a lot more data than I have. Mm-hmm. So have you seen any green stompy decks? We have, yeah. There was a period of time when um, basically just mostly green um, stompy decks with sometimes splashing a little bit of blue for Stubborn mm-hmm. Denial, I yep. think. We're, we're pretty popular there um, and doing pretty decently. They've fallen out of favor a little bit in the recent weeks, but um, you know, based on how it was looking in the past, I could definitely see that reemerging again. Yeah. Okay. What are, what are the strengths of a, a green stompy deck, Michael? Uh, mostly that you get to leverage larger creatures than other beatdown decks. So mm-hmm. whereas your mono black or mono red opponent's playing two ones, or maybe mm-hmm. they top hit at three threes, you're playing five fours on turn two. Mm-hmm. So you, you kind of get to outmuscle the aggressive deck. Yeah, you're basically giving up on the, the, the burn to finish out the game that mono red would have, or the kind of resilience that mono black has with, we talked about its mana base mm-hmm. and its recursive creatures, giving up on those in exchange for your creatures are just bigger than your opponent's creatures. So it's something that I see maybe being strong in the aggro versus aggro mirror matches. So mm-hmm. if, if the metagame goes in a direction where mono black and mono red continue to be popular, I could see mono green kind of rising up as, as a counter to that. Okay. Um, Michael, if you were playing this weekend, oh, no. we're not allowed, but if you were playing this weekend, 
what would you play in Phoenix? Maybe Soul Tide Delirium. I, I like decks like that. Um, that's that's if, if if I wasn't rusty. I would probably, <laughs> I'd probably I'd probably pick like a very aggressive deck now, or uh, you know maybe if if I had been playing with the Is It in Soul deck uh, mm-hmm. early on in Pioneer, that's again a, a choice I would gravitate towards because okay. of its you know ag- aggressive nature plus having some interaction. Okay. Ian? I think, yeah, again, like Michael said, my rusty and realistic <laughs> choice. Probably I would go for, like, mono-black aggro. I've, I've always loved playing the color black in Magic, um, and particularly aggressive black decks, so that's kind of, like, um, you know, would be my personal favorite choice. Um, beyond that, I'd, maybe I'd be interested in trying um, Demir Inverter. Seems like it has a lot of options in terms of um, card selection and access to th- disruptive elements like Thought Season Fatal Push, so mm-hmm. that could be a good mix also. Okay. Um, before we go, I want to ask you guys kind of a couple of general questions about Pioneer. Um, where do you see Pioneer's place in the mm, giant sphere hmm. that is magic um, compared to modern? Yeah, great question. So kind of going back to modern's inception, modern mm-hmm. was introduced kind of just before my time here at Wizards. And when I came in, you know, I was sort of talking to some folks and asking about kind of what they saw as the purpose of Modern. So when Modern was first created, the idea was it would be a place where when your cards rotated out of standard, you could take that deck and maybe upgrade it a little bit and play with Mm -hmm. it in Modern. It would be, you know, somewhat competitive. Um, But through Modern's nature as a non-rotating format, as more and more cards have been added to that pool, um, over time it's kind of the gap between the power level of standard and the power level of Modern has kind of drifted apart there. And so after enough time had passed, we kind of saw an opportunity for inserting something in the middle that's mm-hmm. kind of like not as not as deep um, and uh, not to say that the card pool in modern is more powerful but by the na- by the nature of having a larger and larger card pool the format tends to get more powerful mm-hmm. so kind of inserting something in between where standard is and where modern is that's kind of more scratching that itch that modern did early in its life cycle if mm-hmm. that sort of makes sense now all that being said um, we still love what modern is doing for the magic community super popular format Super awesome format, super fun, um, and we want to make sure everybody knows that we're going to be continuing to support Modern just as we always have. No changes there. Pioneer is not meant to be a, a new Modern or to eclipse Modern or replace Modern in any way. Mm-hmm. It's just that we saw a new slot in the ecosystem where all three, now, all three of Standard, Pioneer, and Modern can now coexist and be fully supported. Okay. Um, you guys kind of touched on this earlier, but... What do you view um, the role of combo in in modern? A lot of players see mm-hmm. combo as kind of a dirty word, but uh, do you view it as like a healthy part of the metagame, something to watch? How do you view it? Healthy in moderation, certainly. <laughs> I think um, combo is a part of magic. It's a part of what ma- makes magic fun, as I was alluding to earlier. You know, part of what makes magic so deep is that you know there are other ways to play, other things to build around besides just you know straightforward attacking with creatures, playing proactively, kind of thing. Um, that being said, combo can also be dangerous in terms of metagame health. Um, I think it's probably no surprise to anybody that like combo cards more often you know, end up on the banned list um, after a period of time. And the reason for that is because um, it can, combos often can be harder to interact with. Either mm-hmm. they can win from an empty board in one turn, which can be difficult for, for some decks to interact with, or just depending on how sort of out there the combo is, normal tools that decks normally need to play against each other aren't effective against the combo decks then, which can make them harder to counter. Um, the other way that combo can be unhealthy for a metagame is if it's just too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't generally don't like when combo decks can just outrace the aggressive decks. 
because then you have um, potentially a win condition that's both difficult to interact with and also faster than the other options to win with, and that can be a dangerous territory to get into. But as I said earlier, you know, we don't make generalizations. You know, a lot of people like to make statements like two-card combos that can win from the hand are just wrong or you know, dangerous or should be banned or whatever. We don't make like clear-cut blanket generalizations like that. Again, it always comes down to uh, how, you know, how winning is the deck, how easy it to, is it to interact with, how mm-hmm. fast is it, and so on and so on. And we want to look at all these things as well as its place in the metagame and whether it has you know, other matchups that it's weak to. Um, so kind of looking at all the angles there and looking at the big picture. Okay. Um, do you guys have... And Michael, I know you did a lot of the original exploration of mm. kind of what Pioneer is. Uh, do you guys have any hidden gems in the format <laughs> that you're like... I thought this might break out, but no one's seen it yet. Mm. For example, permeating mass. <laughs> <laughs> no, permeating mass is really Hidden not very gem, permeating <laughs> Yeah, mass. I, I remember when we were doing some of the initial research about, you know, as Ian alluded to, trying to strike the balance between, like, we want the format to be robust enough that it's not, you know, immediately solved or it isn't too much, like, standard, but there's still room for, you know, standard cards to enter the card pool mm-hmm. naturally as rotation occurs. And for you know, also there'd be room for the format to grow. Um, I made some some passes of you know various files throughout Magic's history and kind of divided them into various subcategories and you know like powerful synergy cards, powerful just generic great cards, etc. Um, so th- there's certainly a few cards that kind of miss my expectations. Uh, like Emrakul, the Promised End, even though it actually just won the Pro Tour, mm-hmm. is I think it's one of the first times that I've I've seen that card show up, mm-hmm. um, whereas I expected to be a big player. Uh, you know, historically strong standard cards like Aetherworks Marvel is certainly something that we thought might show up because it mm-hmm. just has had such a strong showing historically. But um, yeah, there's been a lot of surprising stuff, and it's, I, I think Pioneer's going to continue to be really fun to watch and play. All right. Well, if you want to watch more Pioneer action, see how I did that? That was good, good, Dredges. You you threw that one up there for me. If you want to watch more Pioneer action, uh, tomorrow, uh, right here on twitch.tv slash magic, we have Players Tour Phoenix, which is the final Players Tour in Players Tour Series 1. This one's happening in the Americas. There's going to be a ton of great players there. Um, So definitely tune in tomorrow, Saturday, and Sunday for uh, both Draft and Pioneer action from the Players Tour. Uh, Otherwise, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Ian, for coming in and talking Pioneer with us and talking with all of you fine people. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We are off next week for the World Championship because I'm going to be on a plane to Hawaii. And uh, so we will see you the week (laughs) after uh, on the 20th where we're going to talk about a new product. Cool. Yeah. Um, That's a cool one. Uh, so we will see you back here on 2.20 or tune in tomorrow oh, and and do both. Tune in tomorrow, Saturday, and Sunday for the Players Tour from Phoenix. Thank you and have a good